everybody, what's up? This is Sofia Sanchez, an ambitious teenager doing research on biotech topics. These days, labyrinth cotton and the challenges to bring it to market. Anyways, this episode is very special and kind of unconventional to me. So I invited my friend, dear friend, Amy Lee, who is also a young researcher, crazy, super interested in bioelectricity and xenobots. She's also done projects there and recently gotten funding. So around 250K, if I'm not wrong, um, to, you know, do her projects. Anyways, um, we will be discussing a book called Decoding the World, written by Arvind Gupta and Poe Bronson. Now, these names don't sound familiar to you. Let me give just a brief introduction to them. So they are who I call the Indie Bio guys. And you may be wondering, what is Indie Bio? Well, Indie Bio is, quoting Amy, the most awesome biotech accelerator in the world. What we love about IndieBio is how mission-driven their startups are. And mission-driven is like a very cliche word or phrase, right? So what we mean is that they are actually creating economic incentives through biotech to solve some of the world's biggest problems. So they are actually sustainable and they're actually creating a better, better place while being companies and making a profit or hopefully making a profit in the future because, you know, there are still a lot of things to figure out in biotech. And so, yeah, the book was written by, by them, the IndieBio guys, and the book is about a lot of things, literally a lot of things. Of course, it has a focus on biotech and it drops a lot, seriously, a lot of knowledge bombs on the human body and the brain and the environment and climate change and economics even. But like, <laughs> okay, that that's where I'm trying to get to. So it isn't only a biotech book. It also talks about economics and cryptocurrencies and China and artificial intelligence and quantum mechanics and a bunch of other things. So that's why the book is called Decoding the World, I believe, because they are, they are giving you their perspective on the world. And which is, by the way, very interesting. I think that these guys have some really interesting life stories that they share as well. And their way of seeing the world is unconventional. So it's one of my favorite books because of those reasons. One extra reason is, and that's why what, what I told my mom when I was reading, like, this is the most creatively written book I've ever read. It has like phone conversations. So if this makes sense, they draw like a smartphone on one page and they show you like conversations they have between them, which if, by the way, if these conversations are real, like, well, these guys, like, seem to be some really good friends and have interesting conversations all, all the time. But anyways, um, they, they make you laugh. Like, you actually, I actually had fun while reading the book. And, of course, I, I think it's meant for anybody to be able to understand what they say. It's not like they use scientific jargon, jargon without thinking about it. They actually explain things and they actually help you understand things. So yeah, those are some of the reasons why I think Decoding the World is a great book, actually one that everyone should read in my opinion. And you know, actually when I was reading the book, I, uh, I was like halfway through the book when I said, you know what, I need to grab my phone.
not because I was bored, but because I said I needed to tell everybody I know to read this book. And so I literally took a picture of the cover of the book and sent it through uh, to my friends, to like even teachers, parents and uh, family members and so on. But anyways, uh, as I was saying, this is going to be just like a very casual conversation. And sometimes we will touch on topics that are not necessarily talked about in the book. <laughs> so uh, apologies about that. And one last thing I need to say is that I started recording before Amy thought I was recording. The reason for that is that I think that we were already having a previous uh, interesting conversation while planning uh, what to say in the quote unquote real podcast. So anyways, I hope you enjoy this and thank you for listening. <laughs> solutions you don't know like you just gotta experiment sometimes that's not really a good takeaway actually mm. can you like repeat that you you can't really plan to solve a problem it's it's it's, it's i just pasted in the chat this is what the book said oh, okay um but that's what he was talking about the context of this is like cell act by the way mm. you know i i highlighted a similar line that said something like mm, there is no plan just a way it was like really powerful mm, that's interesting we could talk about that yeah actually it is in the midst of uncertainty you shouldn't look for a master plan but experiment mm. yeah because i think planning is good because if you plan like your week or your month it helps you stop like wasting time but <laughs> sometimes when the things are uncertain yeah i guess another one was like action beats learning from a book every time very mm -hmm. true like sometimes i'm scrolling through twitter and i'm just like they're nice but they're not very like applicable but then when i see one that like really stands out to me it's because i've experienced a similar situation before and i've kind of come to a similar conclusion but they just like rephrased it in like a, like a, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is interesting because it connects to like a question that I had for myself about life. If you can um, seek understanding or learn about something, really learn it or really understand it without experiencing it. And I've come to realize that maybe you can't. I think it's, it's difficult. Like, I can actually talk about something Laura told me about learning on the podcast. It's really interesting, actually. But, yeah. Yo, you want to start the podcast? <laughs> How do we want to start? We want to start with um, just, like, takeaways, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, we can start from there. And then we can just, you know, the simplest thing would be start discussing each chapter or things that just stood up to us and... Uh, yeah. And have a conversation around those topics. True. I think that, that would be true. Okay, hold up. I actually, my do not disturb is not working. Um, I'm going to turn on the light. It's getting dark. Okay, 
I'm gonna quickly, quickly try to find the mask. Oh, it's a close lack and everything else. I, I close it, but it just reopens. Like, oh, the windows are so weird. Okay. Anyways, yeah, yeah never mind. It's called stoicism. It's called stoicism. Okay. Cool. Nice. So, how are you doing, Amy? <laughs> doing great. Very excited for this, this podcast. How are you doing? I am very excited for this podcast, too. I am actually... I was going to say wearing my Zoom background that is like this futuristic biology thing. Um, yeah, anyways. <laughs> dinosaurs in there, yeah. I don't even know where you got that from. That's, That's right. Very nice background. Yeah. The beautiful future we're going to create with biology, hopefully. Hopefully bring the dinosaurs back. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. You know, so what were your biggest takeaways from decoding the world? Mm. That is a good question. I think one of my biggest takeaways is just like, it just expanded my horizons on what's possible with biology and really like maybe understand that a lot of biotech companies come from questioning assumptions. Like an example is like, um, um, I guess like, uh, what's it, like Hugh came from questioning like, what is a perfect blue? Well, a perfect blue is just like, it's not just a color. It has to be like good for the environment. It has to be like sustainable. And then they created this like sustainable denim company. Um, another one was like, uh, what was this one? Yeah, like uh, Maltus Media. Like before, when I was learning about cell egg, I always thought that like synthetic fetal bovine serum was literally impossible. But they were just like, is it really impossible? Like, no, it's not. They designed one that's like, I mean, going to be like 99% cheaper than normal uh, fetal bovine serum. Um, but that just like made me like experience life and start questioning everything. Like, is that really the case? Huh. Um, so that was, that was one takeaway that I thought was interesting. I love um, that. Like looking at the <laughs> world around you and asking yourself if it could be better, if it could be any, any more interesting, sustainable, friendlier, more colorful, whatever, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think another one was like action beats learning from a book every time. Like, um, I think this is something like I realized myself too, because when I was reading a lot of like self-help books or looking <laughs> through Twitter, um, a lot of people gave like their life wisdom. But the life wisdom that I like truly understood for myself was from like, it was related to experiences that I had experienced before. And like some life wisdom that came from like, I don't know, running a company, I just like didn't fully resonate with because I've never ran a company before. Um, so I think that's interesting because it's like, can you really learn from the mistakes of others? Or do you actually have to just experience a lot of interesting experiences yourself to gain that like level of deep understanding? You know? um, I love that takeaway as well, because it connects to a question that I had for myself, which is if we can really, truly understand something uh, without having like an empiric, you know, uh, understanding of it without experiencing it. And, um, you know, my, my hypothesis right now is that you can't because it's like uh, with all of these quotes, for example, you mentioned Twitter. It's like, yeah, you may think you understand um, this uh, Steve Jobs quote, stay hungry, stay foolish. But then when you go through life and then you remember that and you experience something similar, it's like, oh, I now actually understand yeah. what he's talking about. 
Yeah, it's like that's what like Naveed was saying about like vinegar and baking soda. Right now, like all the wisdom you collect is kind of like baking soda because you're not in the real world. You're not like building companies or solving problems. Yeah. Once you do do that, it's like vinegar. It's like like everything makes sense now. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean it comes. It goes by okay. I like talking with my friend Laura, and she she talked. She said something interesting about education that's like related. Um, people learn better from going the specifics first and then general concepts. What I mean by that is like, for example, if I were to say like um, the boy outside threw a tantrum in the snow, like you would think like, oh, okay, sure. Like that boy is kind of annoying. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> but if I say like uh, the boy, um, his, his mittens were stuck with snow, his like cheeks like fuming red and he was like stomping on the floor like it's too cold and you can see his mom like running back into the house and trying to find mittens the curtains rustling like you actually care so much more because it's so much more specific and this is what happened in like a lot of experiments um related to the bystander effect like it's a really long experiment but essentially it's just like if you give a specific example people learn from that a lot better than if you start with like the general formula of something um like in physics like if you solve a problem before giving them like the absolute, like um, what they call formula, like they learn a lot better from that. So I was thinking like, instead of giving like general life formula, what if people learn better from stories? Like you tell people stories that you've experienced. So like you, the, the, the listener kind of experiences it with you and then they understand the life wisdom. Like, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's the same thing as actually experiencing it yourself. Um, maybe, maybe not, but that was a thought. No, that yeah. makes that makes sense actually in a, from a learning point of view like uh, you know Feynman even says like oh the way that we can actually learn from the abstract is by turning it into an example right and um, yeah I was thinking in, in the context of like school and physics it's for me, I actually learn better when the teacher says like, oh, this is applicable to this real life situation exactly. than when they start with like, oh, calculus was discovered or created <laughs> or whatever in I don't know what year. And it's like, yeah, where are we getting with this? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Do you have any other general takeaways of the book? Takeaways? Um... I think mine were more specific, just like mm -hmm. specific like technological possibilities or companies. Another one I, I got from like just like looking at companies is a lot of biotech companies today rely on like AI and ML especially. Um, and what do they use it for? Or a lot of them use it for like protein and enzyme design because enzymes can do so much. Like they can actually mm -hmm. do so much. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something I really like because before I thought like, biotech was just like you're in a lab and you like do cool stuff with microbes but no like this nowadays ai is such a huge role like everyone should literally learn ai like it is it is exponentially <laughs> growing yeah yeah i mean this is a, extracted from somebody else uh yuval noah harry yeah. yeah he, he said that um actually the strongest uh, strongest combination of technologies is gonna be bio and ai Oh, I remember that talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so talk, right? excited. <laughs> yes. For I agree sure. with you both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you have any, any takeaways from the book, Sophie? For sure. I think that my first one, and 
the most kind of romantic in a sense What? is a science as a way of seeing the world and i mean you could think of it as the scientific method right it's like uh, i have even started applying this to to my life and reflections it's like whenever i have a problem it's like well i want to know how to solve it so i ask a question or actually before that i have some observations right then i ask a question and i come up with a hypothesis then i do experiments like i take action right and then i observe that action i analyze it and then i come up with some conclusion so i think that uh in that sense it's like a it's like a mental model right like way of seeing the world but more specific to the book uh, arvind and poe talk about inertia and i just really loved that so much because again you see it in the world you not only see it in like uh control physics experiments but also in like how how we are not how we haven't been able to solve the world's biggest problems yet because sometimes we just keep on doing the same things expecting that something different will happen which is obviously so dumb or our inertia to 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 remain the same in our lives to not change our habits for example so i really love to that Yeah, that's that's an amazing takeaway. Actually, it's interesting. We have different takeaways, but I actually wrote about inertia in my in my newsletter, and it's it's applicable to like general like systems of society, but it's also applicable to yourself because you are a system. Um, exactly. Like something I found that's like crazy is like in a Zoom meeting, if you don't say anything, it's likely that you're not going to say anything for the rest of the meeting. But once you say like the first thing, it's so much easier to become involved in the conversation. I don't know why. And then like with with working too. It's like when you want to work on a project that's maybe not like the most exciting. As long as you like spend like twenty minutes on it, like overcome that activation energy, you immediately get in a flow state, and inertia just carries you. And it's yeah. like, yes, inertia is great. Like we need to practice, <laughs> practice power. Um, when you're talking about experiments, I'm actually really curious. Did you perform any experiments that you in in your own life you learned? Definitely. Yeah. I always uh, like to to be constantly testing hypotheses for myself. And uh right now the, the most recent one was related to to friends and you know relationships in life. I was thinking like, oh, it's what's um well to that but also to to fun. You know, I'm thinking like different people have different ways of having fun, right? And so I'm like, uh how can I We actually pull out the notion doc that I have for this because <laughs> I have um you know I'm a notion nerd you already know this but for uh people listening you know um and this page is called think grow and um but it was previously called Sophie's lab <laughs> so like Slab, personal so life and um let's see the question was is it wrong to have fun in a different way or yeah well there were actually more questions uh am i having fun doing the things i do what does fun mean to me i think that was the most important one how can i balance offline and online activities and so um the experiments were to schedule fun times uh with friends and what i mean with this is not only like talking because i sometimes i feel like i always just <laughs> talking with friends and i'm loving because this may be like a tangent to decoding the world but anyways um, and yeah that's one of the ways in which i've applied the scientific method
my what was your what was your uh uh what's it called like results conclusion of this experiment conclusion is that yeah i do have a different way of having fun to people around me but uh that's okay and i just need to to be more active right about activating uh you know different different activities <laughs> with friends yeah i see for people listening what is like uh how can they also structure experiments in their life? Like, what is like a, a structure they can follow? I think the, uh, the, the scientific method is the structure for me, but uh, I don't know, another example could be you're trying to make a decision, right? I think that's the thing, or find out something about yourself, understand yourself better. And so you, you have observations, right? You say like, oh, um, I, I'm trying to decide whether or not take this course. And so it's like the pros and cons or stuff like that, you know? Just like all your thoughts about that. And then you have this question, should I take it or shouldn't I? Or, and then uh, you always will have an assumption, right? You will always lean towards this side, I think. So you will say like, yeah, I think that I shouldn't do it because it'll take too much of my time. But then you could be wrong, and that's when you need to take take action to walk through that uncertainty. I don't know if it's too abstract, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think the hardest part might actually be like capturing observations, because a lot of us are like really busy. We just like live life and then sleep and then live through another. And then it's just like, how do we observe moments in our day-to-day -day life that can be optimized? Like that's something I was thinking about too with like self-awareness and like I've tried um, like daily daily or weekly updates which is just like reflecting on the week and answering questions just like what went well, what didn't go well, uh, what are some like questions I have, interesting people I met, like questions like that. Um, something else that like Zane was, was uh, told me about is like he did like daily stand-ups where he just kind of filmed a loop video talking to himself about the day and then at the end of the week he would like rewind it like a tape and look at his like because it's not only in words because it's also like body language like were you happy that day were you energetic were you like tired um and then if he derives a lot of insights from that he's like a really self-aware person definitely um but yeah you know, uh, I, how do you yeah I, I like the idea of recording videos for your future self but I don't know if I would be able to do them daily. Yeah, that's a lot of I, I used to do them yeah. weekly um, for myself and uh, to gain perspective from a mentor as well. And then I realized that I wasn't even watching those videos like as a future me. So it probably didn't make a lot of sense. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's another experiment. Do you watch this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyways, uh, another takeaway was okay. also um that biology i mean this may sound like a biased opinion but biology seems to be a technology that is actually solving the world's biggest problems and not only creating an interesting future because with things like facebook i mean facebook is awesome instagram is awesome twitter is awesome but they're just 
uh, with the same technology, like these these use AI, right? And with the same technology, other people are are doing things like uh, creating new drugs, right? With the same principles. So I'm not sure of which one is better. I don't like. <laughs> I want to to bias that, but it's it's great to see just like you know companies solving. So these problems and so many of them that indie bio is helping as well. I think one thing that like separates biology from a lot of other technologies is that biology has millions of years of evolution <laughs> to provide like the most optimal systems, right? Like for example, a plant is so eco-friendly, like it can take up so much carbon dioxide, or not even a plant, like in the book they're talking about this like bacteria, I forgot the name, yeah. but that, that bacteria was like so good at like sequestering carbon. Like no side effects. However, like humans try to copy plants and create these giant carbon capture machines. They run on like like so much electricity, right? And then you have this carbon. Like where do you put it, right? So that's what like we can like learn from plants. Another thing is like your brains run on like very little watts of electricity, but can perform so many complex calculations. And like AI requires like so much energy. It's like it's like um, a lot of AI companies using AI to solve climate change like emit even more emissions from <laughs> running their AI. So it's just like like I think we can learn sense. a lot from biology. It's just like win-win in biology. Biology is technology. Yeah, biology yeah. is technology. Yeah. Yeah, so I know. But that, what you say is interesting because like we can also get into things like biomimicry when we are trying to um, copy nature's designs that are already so good to, to create other things, right? But yeah, what you mentioned about trees is also great because it's like, oh, trees uh, like take up carbon, but then other technologies may not be as good. So then in one of the last chapters, they talk about like um, this Google X project to just plant a bunch of trees, right? So it's like the simplest thing. And they found out that it's going to be the most impactful one. Interesting. I mean, I don't know if it's the most impactful because in a lot of places that there are not trees, it's probably because like it's not a good environment no. for trees to grow. Like it doesn't. Sure. But I might be wrong. What were some of your favorite companies from either the book or like indie bio that used mm. biology as technology? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I've <laughs> lately been really into biomaterials and just like creating uh, recombinant proteins. So I would say that one of them is Bucha Bio, if I don't remember that. Yeah, and they're creating like uh, leather, lab-grown leather with like, uh, if I'm not wrong, is bacterial cellulose and then another one is clara foods they're creating synthetic um egg whites so that's interesting yeah. as well um i don't know how about you yeah clara was actually i think one of the start like the, the founding people of the cell egg yeah. revolution because like think about it like at the beginning of the cell egg revolution imagine like vcs and they get a bunch of like researchers and like we want to make beef without cows and they're just like, why? <laughs> we could be we could be investing in drug discovery. Why are we making like like fake beef, right? But then now it's like so big, it's solving climate change. That's like one thing that Andy Bio did. It's like a place for these these like weird scientists to go that had no place to go. Um, but yeah, some of my favorite. Actually, I have a list. Uh, I have to pull that list up. One of them is like 
I think catalog. They're storing um, mm. data and DNA, um, and they're doing it differently from other people. Other people, they're just like, oh, zero one is like at a like added name. And then like zero zero is like guanine or something. And that's like really inefficient. Like imagine at McDonald's, if you had to, uh, for every burger, you had to like pre-grind the meat, pre-bake the buns. Like that takes so much time and money, but no, they come pre-packaged. You just like kind of put them together, like rearrange them, right? That's what that's what catalog is doing. They have like pre-written um, like uh, oligonucleotides, which are like strings of DNA. Um, and then they just rearrange them to create different messages um, of like data essentially. Okay, I have the list now. Um, on, like Hugh, I was talking about genes, they're creating genes. Dalton is uh, measuring biomarkers in blood to like, for like a, like a, uh, what's it called? Instead of reactive healthcare, they have active healthcare. <laughs> uh, proactive, proactive yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting because apparently they actually got like results. Um, there's a company called Innate Biology, which is like imitating the effects of fasting without actually having to fast oh. by just like giving you those those like proteins. And I thought that's really cool, right? Because that's like another one of questioning assumptions. Like, do you actually need to fast to experience the, uh, the effects of fasting? Like, no. Um, True. I, I was watching then, their page yeah. video and it was really good. I mean, they're also pretty creative in that sense. They're like... Uh, out of the mold, right? They don't have to be serious, even though they're scientists. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when you're talking about Bucha, like Zimri, he's such a funny person. Like, if you watch all his interviews, just feel like a ray of sunshine. Um, hmm. But yeah, yeah, it's company. There's so many. There's like hundreds of hundreds of companies in indie bio. Y'all should check them out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was an interesting fact that you learned from the book? Yes. Oh my God. That's such a, there's so many <laughs> interesting facts. Um, I think one of them, hmm. um, I guess one of them was just like breathing is really key to accessing like the unconscious neural code. Like if you breathe like really fast, like, like in and out, like really quickly, you can, um, be really energetic, I guess. Yeah. and not feel cold when you jump into an ice bath <laughs> breathe like calmly it's like meditation oh, I, I haven't heard this um that one was good yeah. actually it was something interesting is that i was just uh finishing reading the book when i you know read about that fact and then the next day we had this uh tks session and then we started the session with uh one of these breathing exercises oh, yeah. And Michael, yeah, he mentioned, like, uh, the, the breathing guy, the eyes guy, you know? And I was like, oh, I read about that in Decoding the World. Right, yeah. I actually, I learned about um, the guy, the ice bath guy. <laughs> I forgot his name. I learned about him before. But then I'm like, wait, it actually works? Like, I could try that myself. And we were talking to Brandon. Apparently, he also employs that strategy. Because when you wake up, like, 5 a.m., it's like a great time to be productive, but you're like so groggy, you want to sleep. But if you start breathing, it just like helps you get um, in the zone a lot faster. Hmm. You know, I actually haven't tried it at 5 a.m. That's something to do from <laughs> now on. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But, you know, um, these days I've been a little bit tired during school or felt my brain like 
you know, blurry. So I'm like, oh, breathing is good. So I start like, <sighs> or before an exam, you know, before I actually did that <laughs> before before my SAT, and I was like, okay, let's just not do it so intensely because other guys are probably gonna think I'm crazy. But <laughs> I was like, so yeah. yeah, better than like coffee too. Yeah, okay, I have my list of, of insights now. One oh, of them that like really stood out to me. Temperature causes climate change. It's like you think, oh, it's like it's like what is climate change? It's like oh, rising water levels. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> like it's not like that bad. But but oh, sorry, not temperature causes climate change. That's like obvious. It's temperature causes like viruses and pandemics. Um, because like COVID, like what they said in the book is like it happened because like since the temperature is so much hotter and like the climate changing bats are like stressed like their immune system is stressed and that's why they're not like really immune to these viruses anymore um and it's also just like like half half of all the equipment in a lab is for controlling temperature right True. so that's how important temperature is for life and also like when we're sleeping like our sleeping cycle is also controlled by temperature um there's a podcast i was listening to it's like when you're cold when you're like really cold i guess like you sleep you're like in your deepest sleep. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like, wow! I never knew that the temperature causes that that climate change ca- can cause viruses. I always thought climate change was like, like other effects. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, and there was also like an entire chapter about neurons that was kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, actually, I love the title that said. Um, <laughs> Like, let me actually read it. Like searching. Top, uh, sorry? Like searching through uh, neuro, uh, Arvin's brain. Yeah. Chinese. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Top 10 list of crazy new stuff about memory that I learned while hunting for Chinese food in Arvin's brain. That's the title. <laughs> yeah. That's the title. You should, that's, that's what the book's all about. That was interesting yeah. as well because we have, well, at least... From my educational experience, I've always mm-hmm. been told like, oh, the brain is all about electricity and chemicals, and that's it. And then they say like, genetics also play a role, and I'm like, whoa, genetics is cool, it's crazy, <laughs> but the brain is also like a whole new world that we haven't fully understood yet. So it's like, what if they're, they're actually related? They actually, you know... Uh, like like genetics actually plays a role in our um, in how our brain works in mm-hmm. like in the day to day. Yeah, yeah. And, and also the fact that memories are literally built up, or at least that's the way they explain it. Like they're actually physical structures. That's what I understood. That was crazy to me. And then what yeah, they say is like also. yeah, that that you can only learn so many things at in a given period of time. Because mm-hmm. then you'll run out of building material uh, for to form these memories. Yeah, that's like, that's why I like. I was, it was so difficult to study for physics at like twelve years <laughs> when I was studying for the entire day. But that's the yeah, explanation. So There's a, another one that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Is like the best way to live a long life is literally not to like like eat healthy, exercise. It's to have a sense of purpose. 
have a sense of purpose. You will continue living. And that's actually true. Because uh, I was with this like brain call with Nabil, uh, Amna's husband. And then he was like, he investigated the city in Japan that had like people living really long. And the reason why they lived so long is they had a sense of purpose. Like every day people like depended on them. They had to go like on every Friday to play games with people. They had to help out like the children, like talk to people. They were respected. And it's like, I know, it's so crazy that they're like, oh, we, we are talking about super advanced technologies in the other chapters, and this time it's just like, the only experiment that these scientists did was like, check boxes, you know? Right. They, they just asked people, do you have a sense of purpose? Well, you know, many other questions related to that. And then they found out that, that correlation and uh, they used plants as well, right? They, in a study, they, they had people take care of a plant to have a sense of purpose, I think. <laughs> wow. Now, purpose can be, like, so small, but it's, like, very subjective. Very subjective. Yeah, it, it's subjective, but it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's, like, um, I, it reminds me of this uh, scene in Interstellar, the movie. Have you watched it? Uh, my friend has summarized it to me. I haven't watched it, but I know what it's about. Anyways, yeah. it's about space, right? And then there's this yeah. scene in which the main, uh, the protagonist, is like against uh, his astronaut enemy. And the astronaut enemy is like, oh, you're like about to die, but now you, you know what's gonna be your last thought? You're gonna see your children. It's like, oh, you're gonna try to fight for them. That's the only thing that's gonna keep you you know, fighting for, for your life. And it's like, yeah. Evolutionary could also make sense. Like, of course, evolution is a whole new thing, a whole other thing. But like, children giving purpose to people, like, continue living. I don't know. Wait, that's so true. Oh, my God. I don't know. Wow. It's like a random thought. I don't know if it makes sense. <laughs> Everything can literally, everything living can be explained by evolution. Wow, I never thought about it that way. That's, evolution that's is awesome. Thing. Like, it explains awesome. relationships, it explains um, death and <laughs> the monkey mind, why we need exactly. dopamine. Exactly, yeah. Oh my god, the reason why we're living is to, oh, okay, anyways. Obesity, yeah, it like, explains Instagram, obesity. even, like it does. Explains everything. Yeah. And there's another chapter where Arvin was talking about like him questioning his purpose in life. Um, like he went like jumping off buildings to try to find his purpose in life. And then it's just like ultimately like you there's like this, this sense of futility by by living in the system where you just like grow up and go to school, you go to university, you go to work, and you go home, you go to work, you go home, like all day, right? And then it's just like you have to like ultimately like everyone who goes through like these periods of thinking about the meaning of life they come to this one conclusion which is just like like there is no purpose to life like you have to give meaning to it and it's like i haven't went through those periods but <laughs> i heard from people that that's, that's always the answer <laughs> so yeah. we've yeah. come back to this part of experiencing things you heard out uh, and you read our and say it now it's time for us to like Go yeah, that's What do you think is your purpose in life, Sophie? Oh, <laughs> very, that's very a good question, question Amy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's think. Or even, not even purpose, just like what's, 
why why do you live like what drives you in life i guess what drives me yes. right now what drives me i think that it, it's kind of a we, we can bring this to the middle level now because i think that right now i'm trying to find what drives me so that's what drives me i'm driven by exploring that thing that will drive me but um i mean in a more pragmatic sense i would say that creating biotech products would be like an awesome life <laughs> to live for me yeah it's just like everyone always talks about like create more than you consume a lot of problems will be solved yeah, yeah. how about you yeah i was thinking about it. i think what drives me is just like like hope that there is like a beauty in life and there's like things that will be very exciting in life and like i'm constantly trying to find like more things to work on more things to excite me but it's just like pursuit of of that um hmm. might be my purpose and of course like make an impact along the way but i don't really want to be like making an impact not be excited by what i'm doing so i don't know <laughs> i don't know so, if that's a good answer beautiful exciting things Sorry? Beautiful and exciting things, like finding them. Yeah, yeah it's just like life is so, the world is so cool. <laughs> like before, before this year, I was thought just like, oh, it's just like school, it's like everything. But now I'm just like, wow, there's like cool concepts like gene editing and bioelectricity <laughs> and like, and like recording podcasts with Sophie. <laughs> like, wow, there's Same. just so much in life to explore. Um, yeah. But I find it, I don't know in what point of his life, Arvind was having like this ex existential crisis because like another thing I realized throughout the book is that Arvind's and Poe's lives are actually really interesting. They have lots of stories, like every chapter felt like a, a story of something they, they had lived, whether that be sad or happy, you know, when they were in, um, was it Iceland? Because they were talking to like a politician there about climate change. Then there were uh, like the, the story about his mom's cancer or I don't know, uh, searching for food in Arvin's brain. Like, you know, yeah. they have such some interesting lives and probably I will keep them go going for long. They have they seem to have a purpose. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Arvin actually said in like some pet talk, he was like, purpose is the change you want to make in the world. And like, I guess in your community and yourself, And like creativity is the currency of purpose. I was wow. like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense to me right now. I think that really? I have to, I'll have to figure it out. Uh, it's like, it's like a purpose is like, what change do you want to make in the world? Hmm. Actually, maybe, maybe it's subjective. Maybe it's not for everyone. Hmm. But I feel like, yeah, it's a, it comes back to the concept of like creation. It's like, if you're just living life And like learning about stuff and not really creating things like do you feel a sense of purpose like do you feel a sense that like the world needs you hmm. i don't know right true so no it's <laughs> hmm. an interesting idea um yeah. another interesting hmm. story uh, talking about you know their lives is when Arvind was living in China and I know that we need to talk about China because like yes. it was so mind-blowing for me I know very few things about the country but when he started saying like Yiwu you know this huge gigantic market or when he talked about 
why it could be the most important chess player in the future, you know, in, in this analogy of like, uh, the world is a five-sided chess uh, board, and then you have our AI, you have biology, um, you have the search for truth, China, and climate change as the players, yeah. right? And then China yeah. could actually be the most powerful player since it has all these technologies and it could also have influence in our search for truth with its uh, city operation systems. It's like, uh, I don't even know what to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so much we can learn from China. Like, even as, as we were doing like the MIT case study about like solar energy, it's like China right now owns like 80% of like the world's manufacturing of like uh, the, the, the silicon for, wow. for solar panels. And it's like, how are they able to do that? Like they were not, this took them like, like, well, like 10 years. Um, like when like, I don't know, like the government subsidized it, like they had a lot of strategies for manufacturing. But like, I still don't understand, like what are like the principles that China is operating on that makes them so successful? Hmm. Like, I think my mom was talking about, it's just like work culture is also a bit different in China. Yeah. Like in China, it's all about like work really, really, really hard, really fast. But in, but in like maybe Canada, it's a lot more like chill. It's like, oh, hmm. you can like take your time with this project, <laughs> um, talk with your friends and coworkers. <laughs> I don't know how, how objectively right that is, but it's also like China was able to build a hospital in two days. So it probably has some like really strong work culture. Yeah. But, you know, I think so I there. also read about this in Outliers by my Malcolm Gladwell. Mm. He talks about work culture in China, right, and hard work and oh, really? so on. Yeah, he does. I mean, what in, in general about? terms, um, he talks about a story of like people who who cultivate who culture rice, and I I don't remember the the whole specific thing, but like. Okay. Uh, it may have been like a story, like a popular story of like, or more, yeah, like, uh, I don't know what to call it, but like things they, they tell to children. And it's like, yeah, you need to okay. work for your rice plate or whatever. So you, you wake up early and you go do work and then you'll have, you'll, you'll have what you, it'll pay off. So... I think it's it's in culture that they have their strength as well. And in the book, uh, Arvin and Poe talk about Confucianism, right? And how that like is also embedded somehow in their political system, like people minding their business, not complaining so much and so on. Like not uh, somehow also mm, uh, like Avoiding freedom of expression in some sense. I don't know. How is culture created? Like, culture is a result, right? It's not like the initial root cause. True. There's a lot of factors. It's a very big question. <laughs> um, I mean, going yeah. back to the very start, it may have just been person or a very small group of people seeing the world in a way thinking they're right and trying to spread that to the rest 
from other people. I'm like also taking insights from Yuval again. It's like <laughs> I know a way of organizing civilizations, right? Yeah, religion or like even money is a way because like money isn't real; it's just plastic or paper. But people believe in it. Oh, that was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, because I I think that we could have an interesting conversation about China since you you have uh, roots there. I don't know if your parents are. I have never lived in China. I lived in China from zero to two years old. I don't remember any of it, so I can't really <laughs> provide that much insight into that. I guess I live in like a Chinese family, maybe not completely the same. Like I guess in China, like we value education a lot. That's one thing. But like the kind of education is a bit different. Like in China, it's like really academic. It's just like just focus all your energy on like school.、Mm-hmm. But in like U.S., it's just like extracurriculars, extra community, sports, TGS.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. Have you ever like I don't know discussed or how do you see any differences in like you know the. Your family culture versus I don't know Canadian culture in this case.、Mm. I mean, one is like strong value of education, but I mean a lot of families value education.、Um, I literally I don't think I can give you a very, very good answer off the top of my head. Like of course there's like there's like basic things like. What we eat is different, like whatever. But like, I don't know. Maybe I could have a discussion with my like my parents about that. It's like, how are their values different from Canadian people's values, normal Canadian values? <laughs> that could be interesting. Yeah. So,、no. do you think you're? Oh <laughs>、uh, wait, <laughs> wait. What kind of questions should I ask?、Um, No. What values do you think like your your family values?、Mm-hmm. My family values. I think that <laughs> it's interesting because my family values family itself. You know the、uh, this idea of being together, like eating dinner together and yeah, yeah. spending time together. <laughs> also,、uh, you know, family also kind of exists. Or that's the way I see it. Maybe I'm biased <laughs> because、uh, people having children, right, together. So it's like they value、um, people getting married and having children. That's something else.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, getting back to <laughs> book takeaways as well.、Um, I think that my third takeaway. Well, I already mentioned China. That was my other takeaway.、Um, mm-hmm. But maybe how how cool microbes are. They also talk about this. Like、uh, you you briefly mentioned, like oh temperature and how it influences microbes. But like they also say、um, the gut microbiome, for example, which is something that I'm really into, or how bacteria can almost do anything. They can like、uh, excrete acids or Absorb metals or create dyes or、uh, cellulose and many other things. So it's like just crazy. They're like biofactories, right? <laughs> yeah, Sophie is all about 
microbiome. I know. Like, what do you think? Like, do you think there's like a like a way of understanding microbes other than like trial and error or like experiments? Like, do you think there's any principles for understanding microbes or microbiomes in general? Hmm. Other than think, experimenting. Yeah, because a lot of I think the, the preconceived notion is like a lot of biology is just experimenting and like understanding the world but i think we've progressed so that biology is not just an empirical science it's actually like can be used as a technology now because we have ways of understanding it and using it and that's that's actually a16z is like their new investment thesis is biology is eating the world so that's that's great um no i'm still like do we just have to like look at previous experiments to understand microbiomes or is there some way of like structuring way to understand them. Hmm. I don't know if any, you know, kind of computer simulations, but it depends on what insights you want to get from microbes, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know if you're thinking of like the design, build, test, learn cycle to not only do experiments blindly, you know, but also have sort of a design phase, like a prediction. <laughs> we were what we were trying to do with uh our item project, right? The math modeling. Yeah. <laughs> the math model did not turn out. Maybe that could be another way to understand them, or well, we could also talk about uh, creating minimal cells, right? What um people are trying to reduce the amount of DNA that a microbe needs to survive. And then oh, that wow. could have us. Yeah, they do. Wait, actually, I've not heard of that way. Tell, tell me about it. What, what is yeah. this? What are the most else? Yeah. So I think that Craig Venter, one of the people who worked in the sequencing, the sequencing the human genome, and he's also doing like uh, sequencing technologies and synthesis of DNA, etc. Anyways, um, he, I think, also worked to create a bacterial cell called Cynthia. And um, it was like the first, the first cell that had like less DNA than any other or something like that. And the thing that, why is this helpful is, well, um, number one, to understand fundamentally what life needs. But number two, I think, is like we could use that, or that's the way I see it. We could use this very minimal cell and then insert a lot of stuff in there or use it as a biofactory and that it could be like more effective to to produce things with it right you can just yeah just harness it as a biofactory yeah because we have like the fundamentals it's like less variables we have to worry about that's true so and that goes back to your idea that you're talking about like turning um cells into a a computer (laughs) i mean well yeah in terms of uh just to close the bio cell thing (laughs) minimal cell thing i I don't know if it's actually the best approach to to biomanufacturing right since we already have some cell-free systems as well which we yeah maybe cheaper but anyways yeah talking about um turning cells into like computers i mean everyone is trying to do that right but then you were you are actually very interested in bioelectricity so i don't know if it's because of the name that i made this association of like 
computers and bioelectricity. It's like if we could control cells in a very specific way, like literally just like push a button or something like that and say like, oh, create insulin, create cellulose, create egg whites, you know, and have like this uh, beautiful biocomputer that can grow anything for you or even turn into another cell because it's not only about recombinant proteins. What if you could um, like manipulate its bioelectric layer or its epigenetics or its differentiation, right? So it can turn into a meat cell and then you can create meat at home. Oh, yeah. That's really possible. It's really vague, you know? And then I, I was actually talking with, uh, about that with Steven today. And uh, he, he said like, well, that's an interesting vision, but think, uh, think about a 3D printing analogy. Like 3D printers are already a thing. But then how many people actually use them at home to create anything? They could, right? But not a lot of people do. But I, but I feel like it's different for home because you're not like creating insulin on a daily basis at home. Yeah. You're like a factory. Or, or there's even like companies um, 3D printing buildings on Mars. Then they have to use it like very often because they need 3D print buildings on Mars or the moon. That's so just target audience. Like I... Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in that sense, if the problem is a target audience, then I would say, well, Ginkgo Bioworks is trying to make biology easier to engineer. What if they could have, like, uh, this biocomputer, which uh, helps them create bioproducts for, for the customers? I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it, because right now, bioelectricity is used to, like, solve health problems or environmental problems. But then Sophie, you're just like, oh, this could be a very interesting... Um, um, like medium, yeah, uh, to solve problems, not directly solving the problem. I was like, oh, that is interesting. Cause, yeah, because it's like, um, as long as the thing you want to do is in the DNA, like if you want to produce insulin or egg whites, if it's in the DNA, then like wow, like just you can kind of like activate. Um, I don't know. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because I was. Uh, when I started thinking about this idea, I was having this conversation with this uh, Microsoft Station B guy. He is uh, Andrew, and he's like the head of synthetic biology there, which is interesting. And I was like, hey, Andrew, yo, what is the, <laughs> what, what, is, uh, what is the equivalent to an operating system in biology? You know, like not, not in biocomputational stuff, but like literally in biology. And he said, like, well, we kind of already have that, like, with epigenetics and stuff. So then, well, I don't remember if that was his exact answer. But then he got me thinking, like, oh, what if we could manipulate epigenetics to, like, because that's what our bodies already do, right? Our, yeah, I, I'm not remembering what he said. It's like our bodies already have, uh, already have different cells, but all of these cells have the same software if you may right they have the same dna they're so different yeah Uh, they have the same dna but they're so different why epigenetics bioelectricity etc right so they're producing different things they're acting in different ways but they're they have the the same thing inside of them they have the same um cd right (laughs) probably so like taking this into the tech world 
if, um, if these cells are like a computer, like a laptop, they have the same Intel chip. We just need to be able to use them as computers so we can do as many things we can do with them as, as we can with computers. That's so true. I think I think I remember, you know, but I like to see it's it's really good for controlling a lot of cells at the same time to work together. I think that's what yeah. Michael Levin was stressing. So if we do have a computer with a lot of like cells connected, I don't know. We have different memory potentials or computations. Maybe cells are not like computers. Maybe they're like transistors. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh, actually, there's a company actually using cells. It was part of IndieBio. They're using neuron cells as transistors. Wow, that's crazy. And then there's it's Koniku, by the way, C-O-N-I-C-U. Um, like their, their, their computer system is so beautiful. It looks like a jellyfish. And then they're doing one thing that computers cannot. They're, sen- they're smelling and tasting things. Because a computer, like, they literally cannot do that. But because like cells have receptors, they can like smell like particles and taste particles. And I was like, wow, wow, you're so cool. You can do what computers can do and even better. So, yeah. Is that the start of it is trying to like diagnose cancer through smell or do, well, uh, many different things. Oh, I have another one. Yeah. I haven't heard that sort of, I heard like dogs detecting cancer through smell. That means like, you should probably, it's probably possible to imitate what dogs do. Yeah. Not outside the dog, right? But yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like, uh, but I don't know if there's any ethical side of this, like using whatever neurons or cells to perform that's computations. True. That's true. Like, where are you getting these neurons from, Connie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we we don't even know enough about consciousness to be able to tell if those could somehow be conscious, right? Yeah, we really don't. But you know, have you heard of basal cognition? No. No? Essentially, like, people, when they hear cognition, they associate with like, the brain. But your cells are also kind of conscious because they can they can make decisions, right? Um, and then ultimately, your body's made up of cells. So it's like the small scale, it's like basal cognition, which makes up like large scale actual mm. cognition. Maybe that's where cognition comes from, like starting from small. Very bigger. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Then I read it in paper. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mm. Coding the world, everybody. We should read it. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was literally like I think it would be like my favorite book I've like ever read because it made me like physically excited. Like I'm like I like literally <laughs> jumping up and down about what's possible with biology. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's really concrete. Yeah. Oh. It's like it's like really concrete. Like they give you actual examples instead of like self help books that are just like oh, um, you know, like random quotes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> random quote. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, to me it also made me excited, but none. I I think that I, as I was saying at the beginning, it was like uh, my favorite part was biology as a way of seeing the world. Sorry, mm-hmm. science as a way of seeing the world and like applying that to my everyday life and. Yeah, just like the main takeaways, you know, and that we can create a better future with biology. And that it's, it also feels like a great community, you know, you get a sense of the bio community and how we are like, yeah, let's solve problems and let's start companies. So it's like exciting that they tell you about their companies too. Yeah, I think the major difference between pure research 
and like bioengineering starting companies it's like pure research is just like advancing humanity's knowledge but um like companies or bio companies they're they're taking that like knowledge that they gain and creating value for people solving problems i think that's so powerful you know um companies are great yeah <laughs> startups are good. like what how i sometimes laughed um, because like their language is really I don't know, it's really common, they're not trying to sound smart or anything, but I mean, of course they do, um, but sometimes they were saying like, oh yeah, we were at the IndieBio labs in New York or whatever, right, and they were like, yeah, there was this person working on cancer, and then next to them was a person trying to create um, more sustainable fertilizers or whatever, right, and it's like, Yeah, they sometimes collaborated or, I don't know, told each other what they were doing. It's like, yeah, just normal day in our lives, you know. <laughs> Imagine how much, like, intellectual power or creativity is concentrated in a single indie bio building. Yeah, there's, like, up to 15 companies at once. And in the book, it even said, like, some people, like, help each other out with, like, yeah. their strong suits and their weak suits. That's such a nice community. It was like, I we're know. this together. Yeah. I mean, we should start a company and then enter IndieBio. Go to, go to IndieBio. That is, that is our goal. That is our goal. That is our purpose in life, you see? <laughs> <laughs> IndieBio gave us a purpose. Well, I don't know. But that would be amazing. Yeah. It would be great. All right. I, I don't know if we have anything else to discuss about the book, but it was interesting. That was a pretty good discussion. Uh, went through, we went through most of like my main takeaways. I think your main takeaways as well. Um, but everyone will probably take away something different from the book, as you can see here. Between <laughs> us. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it is all about thoughts. like general culture and science and the future and China and crypto and biology and startups and indie bio and um, existence. What else would you add to the list? Uh, they talked about quantum in like a chapter. That was pretty cool. Um, oh, diabetes, age, it's just problems. problem. Climate change. Climate change, cell egg, neurons. I don't know, there's just everything in there. <laughs> That's why it's called Decoding the World. And, you know, I'm excited because they said that this was one out of three books. Yeah. What are, what are the other three books? I didn't understand their ending completely. Like, it was, uh, it was weird. Mysterious ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But probably we will connect the dots with the next book. Hopefully they'll connect the dots. I don't know what else they'll talk about. Yeah. Anything else you want to tell people before leaving? <laughs> I guess I could like recap action items. Like oh, one, that like, would be cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like one, like breathing. If you can change your breathing, you probably change your, your energy level. Like Sophie said, uh, use the scientific method in your life. Like self-awareness is so powerful. Like if you understand how you work, you work so much better. Hmm. Um, so that's something. For me, another one is also yeah. questioning the world uh, before you start decoding it, right? What you said uh, about questioning what's possible, look around you. And I know it sounds, again, pretty romantic, but um, be more critical when you're told something. What if we haven't done enough research and all the book was a lie? 
Oh no! <laughs> right? So that's one for me. Another one. Mm. Trying to quit sugar. It's apparently really bad. Oh really? It is. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's like the instant gratification thing. Yeah. Learn constantly. The world is changing fast. How do you learn new things? Like, what is your main outlets of learning? My main what? Like, where do you mostly learn? Where? Online, but more specifically. Like yeah, research. Yeah, uh, I like you know, of course, reading research papers on topics that I'm interested in. But then I also subscribe to newsletters and. Uh, I see if they're good. If not, I am I unsubscribe. But for the ones that are good, uh, I've been reading Neo Life, which is uh, about biology. Um, of course, A16Z Biology. There is another one, uh, Farnham Street, my BFS blog, you know, with uh, Shane Parrish. What else? Um, think. What what? Things do you follow Amy to learn? Yeah, I think TED Talks are like underrated. Like they're so cool. Like I learned about bioelectricity from a TED Talk. I learned about like so much just like from <laughs> TED Talks. So when I was talking with like their their life was also changed by a TED Talk. Because like for a TED Talk, you actually have to like prepare like intensely for it. So of course it's gonna be super valuable. Um, books are great. I think books is yeah. like it's it's a bit better than like blogs because blogs is just like you write them in like what, like a week but books you have to actually devote time to making it like like uh easy to read and then since you the the author takes you on like a journey like you, you remember it a lot better um uh, i don't i haven't really been active oh podcasts yeah podcasts sure. are great too. um for biology specifically i guess like i don't the symbiobeta podcast is pretty cool there's Lot of other cool bio Twitter for me as well, just to like mm -hmm. get all of these uh, exposure to different things, and then I can decide which ones to learn mm -hmm. about from there. Wait, random question: Why do you enjoy bio biology more than like other exponential technologies? Like, why did you choose biology? I don't know if I've asked you this before. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's. Of course it's fascinating, right? But that's obvious. Uh, why that is? <laughs> oh my. I can't I don't know. answer either. I, don't I, know. <laughs> I think you just click with it, right? There may be people who just click with quantum computing and that's fine. And I mean, I think, I think of quantum computing as fascinating as well. Well, more quantum mechanics than quantum computing, but with biology, it's just like, whoa, we can, it's applications, we, we can create, we can grow anything really, like we can create microbiotics that treat our diseases, like can we really um, create meat without animals and we can have like that, physical product, I don't know, I just see beauty in it, you know? Yeah, thank you. That's great, that's great. Like, when you just, like, know 
you like something, it's just an awesome feeling. Yeah. yeah. Grow by Ginkgo is a beautiful magazine. If you want to learn it more is. about the beauty of biology. Yeah. It, it seems like it also, like, people put effort into it. I don't know, the writing seems so well thought and the images and everything. Images, like, I don't think there's a better place for bioimages. No. Maybe it's too <laughs> I don't <laughs> it's know. It's a great thing. either. Why do you like biology? I don't have, like, a set answer. I just think it's, like, like nature. There's so much we can learn from life, you know? Um, I think a lot of other technologies are very not as like mature. It's like really a lot of like deep tech is like I might be wrong, but a lot of deep tech is like humans created it from kind of scratch, right? Or they kind of like imitated brains, for example, for AI. Um, but I think biology is just a lot more like they, they have like years of operating, mm-hmm. and it's like really like small and, and complicated, and we can learn from it too create better systems or solutions. But also it just excites me. It just physically excites me. Like like you said, like excites me more than some other other technologies. But I think it's a very good question to answer for ourselves. Why do you what what is it about something that we just click with it like with people we know like when you for example fall in love with someone right it's like oh <laughs> you you know that it's evolution and like you have the same interests but with something that is static such as well that is apparently static as a field it's like what what catches your attention more than other fields because for me it's like i i can now say like oh it's like evolution is crazy and like synthetic biology but I didn't know about any of those things when I was like five years old and I already knew that I loved like studying yeah I I loved um since I was like yeah very young I I really loved reading books about human anatomy and so on but I was like I don't want to be a doctor (laughs) and it was like biotech exists and it was like the perfect thing for me so I'm like what was it about the human body then yeah good question yeah before like grade i don't know eight nine i was not super interested in bio you know and then and then i don't know i just became more interested in maybe because i had like this really good bio teacher but i think your environment also plays a huge role like your parents play a huge role in like your your likes like oh samson like his parents are like writers or engineers and that's why he likes writing in tech like my parents are like my dad used to be a biochem researcher. Mm. Right now they're pharmacists, right? So that's probably why <laughs> my dad just like told me random biology stuff when I was a kid. Hey, me, do you know about this metabolic pathway? It's pretty cool. Yeah, I was like, whoa. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. With me, I, I don't really know, like my, because before biology, I think that I, I liked, uh, space and planets i also used I to have everyone as a kid yeah. at some point like space dinosaurs <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I also had a book about dinosaurs so yeah, <laughs> yeah true good insight um but then i don't know maybe you know yeah parents oh my god amy to just <laughs> no my whole life my purpose i was influenced by my mother who bought those books for me no i thought that was a genuine interest i mean it is but it was oh also God, influenced. manipulated you oh no. no like none of my parents are into biology or anything um but yeah it's true that my mom used to like 
Uh, she really wanted me to be a, a doctor, so. Oh, really? Yeah. That may have been. That, that may be the root cause. Oh, no. Because <laughs> it's really difficult to form any opinions on your own, especially as a kid, right? Like, you, you kind of learn from other people. And once you have this, like, knowledge base of opinions, and you can develop your own opinions. I'm not entirely, I, I don't think I entirely agree with that. Since really? like, okay. yeah, because I, I think that I've been noticing when, when you're a kid, you have so little information about the world that you may just be like a more independent thinker, right? You you ask why you're more curious, right? You want to, to try new things. And you're not necessarily just um, being complacent okay. with, yeah. Yeah, that's why like a lot of times when you're trying to like create a pro product or like create a solution to something, it might not be the best idea to like learn about what's already being done. Or uh, this is debatable, but like Sriya, she was trying to create some like VR AI thing. And then there was already a group in Stanford working on it, um, but she like didn't look at what they're doing and tried to like first principles build it out herself. And apparently what she built was like a lot more complex and more advanced than what they were building. So I thought that was interesting because yeah. like what you think is like the, the limit is like what limits you. Um. That's another good conversation we could have actually because um, supposedly human having all this um, like collection of human knowledge is supposed to help us advance faster, right? It's like it builds upon each generation and like it grows exponentially, right? But then it could also be biased, right? What if you could use this knowledge to like build upon it, but if you didn't look at it, you probably would come up with different ideas that would be more unique, that would be better. Anyways, random yeah. thoughts. Shower random thoughts. thoughts. Shower thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it turns out, like, actually, like, shower thoughts is, like, scientifically proven. Because when your brain is, like, relaxed, and you're, like, walking outside, or it's, like, trying to fall asleep, but it's relaxed, that's when the creative thoughts come. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I think this person in the How to Learn Anything course, is it called like that? Or Learning Better? I don't know. There's a course on Learning How to Learn. Learning How to Learn. It's oh, on Coursera. Okay. Yeah. And uh, these guys talk about different states in our brains. And one is like focus and another one is like dispersed or something. And so like we need both. We need to be focused on a task and then let our brains wander because they will probably arrange that information in an original way. So. Yeah, our brains are like crazy. It's like you think like like you are in control of everything you see, but there's so much like you don't know about like yourself and the world. Mm -hmm. And you're like kind of limited by your brain, but like you think your brain is everything. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah. I gotta go for dinner now, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It was awesome it was talking. Yeah, it's always like when you're in a conversation and like you come out of it with more than you could have came up with like separately. Like, the sum is greater than its parts. Yeah, <laughs> good conversation. Good conversation <laughs> indeed. Yeah, lots of tangents and random thoughts as well, but that was good. Yeah.
later and uh, that was it that was the episode on the coding the world indeed we had some some tangents to the book but i hope that at least you've gotten a different perspective on how uh <laughs> two teenagers see see the world including the scientific method and how to apply it in your daily life or how cool microbes are or how cool our brain is or how cool proteins are maybe you you have become more interested in reading the coding the world if you haven't yet also feel free to just uh, DM us or reach out if you have already read the book and have an interesting perspective that you want to share. I am on Twitter at SophiaSH underscore and I'll also leave Amy's links in the description below. I will be interviewing biotech founders very soon, you know, um, recording more more episodes for the Obio podcast. Remember, it's time to grow. I'll see you in the next one.